Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Before we begin, I wanted to let you know that this podcast has a Patreon. Patreon is a membership platform that allows creators to develop a more sustainable source of financial support for their projects. My Patreon supports this podcast. If you find this podcast worthwhile, please consider becoming a patron by heading over to the Patreon link in the description. Thank you, and on with the show. everybody welcome back to the podcast today it's just me i don't have any guests because i just wanted to take a moment to talk about screenplay competitions and to talk about film festivals on my own because i'm going to be having guests on that will give their own perspective and those episodes are going to be dedicated to their perspective and rather than making it an intense conversation of debate and you know, some of this, I, I'm really passionate about this subject, and I know that if I disagree with somebody, I'm going to be pulling my hair out trying to argue with them. And so, the, my rule with the podcast is if I have you on as a guest, it's your view, and I'm digesting your view, and that's it. I want my audience to understand that, because I'm not interested in sort of an on-air argument, like like a debate you might see on Bill Maher or one of those political shows. Like, that's not what this is. Every guest that comes on has their own view. But for me to get across my experience with something like film festivals or screenplay competitions, I can't really have a guest on because most people who are in the film industry or in the publishing sector, they're absolutely going to disagree with me. It just is what it is. I've always been at odds kind of with the institutions of filmmaking. And for full disclosure, I still am. <laughs> uh, uh, this is not going to be a review of specific screenplay competitions, although I will name drop some of them because I had specific experiences with some of them. What I want to do is talk to you about what I've done over the pandemic in terms of submitting my work to screenplay competitions and kind of the information I've gathered. But before I do that, I'm also going to tell you about my history with the film festival circuit because I do have an extensive history with some of the smaller film festivals in and around New York City. So let's start with that because for the longest time, you know, I started making films in high school. 1998 was the exact year I started making movies. Ever since then, I've been thinking about film festivals. I've been submitting my work to film festivals back then. That was really the only way independent filmmakers could get their work seen, is you submit your movie to a film festival, you, you create a package with the film, you send in the submission fee, whatever the submission fee is or was, and you send it out. And, and today, the film festival market is much bigger and the fees are much higher. 
And what happened, though, was I didn't get into my first festival until around 2012. It took a long time. It took many, many years. And I think I'd spent tens of thousands of dollars in submission fees the 10 years prior with nothing but rejections. Absolutely all rejections. Thousands of dollars wasted. You know how many films I could have made for that money? A lot. Well, the first festivals I got into were almost negotiated. Like I submitted them and one of the festivals rejected it saying that they they didn't get time to review it. They actually said we didn't have time to review it so you could submit it next year for free. So the next year I submitted it to for free and with the cover letter I said, hey, this is uh, the carryover from last year's. I hope you consider it this year. And the the reviewer was also the owner he assigned my project to his mom. And it turned out that my project was the taste that his mom had in movies. And so his mom's like, I'd like to see this at the festival. And so he's like, oh, okay. And that's kind of how it got in. Um, a, a little bit of bad luck that turned into good luck. And then at that festival, I networked with a couple of other people who were running their own festivals. And I negotiated my work into those festivals. And so really the regular submission process never really worked the way it was supposed to with me. I guess that first one to a certain extent, but in the end it was just a little bit of luck and a lot of negotiating. And then after that it was all negotiating. The only other festival I submitted to through the regular process got in and had a screening with was the Big Island Film Festival in Hawaii. But I didn't even get to attend it because I couldn't afford to fly out there. At the time, I was really broke. I had just come off a disastrous production. And it was a production where my financial partners kind of left me with, a, with all the debt. And so this one festival where they're like, yeah, we'll take your film. We'll screen it. Can you come out here? I'm like, no, nah, I can't. And so that was tough. That was tough to stomach. But that, then it got to a point where I was advising a lot of these festivals on their programs because they wanted to diversify their programs and get more experimental, get more local indie films in. And they didn't know how to look at a lot of these. And I have an eye for no-budget filmmaking, uh, whereas a lot of these guys, they're used to, to judging a film based on how expensive it looks. Oh, this thing looks like it was done professionally with a lot of money. Of course we should show it. All that other stuff that people are making in the, in the basements of their, their apartment buildings or in the garages in their parents' homes, they don't know how to look at any of that. And I have the eye for that. And so I started advising them on, well, this is, this is really inventive and here's why. Here's, if you program this, here's, here's how you should promote it. And I would just tell them, you know, this film doesn't look like much, but this person, I see what he's doing. And also this guy has a huge background with the New York indie film scene. So you should bring him on anyway because he's going to get people to come. And so that sort of became my role for a long time is balancing newcomers with educating them on like who the newcomers were that they should be looking at seriously and then who has been around a while that if they, they may not know their name or they may know their name, you know. Most of them didn't know a lot of these, these experimental filmmakers though. So I had to kind of give them a bit of a schooling and all that. And... Uh, I did that for a while, and then 
then there were the awards, and and this is I'm not the only one with this story. I've known many people who advised festivals on some of their awards, and you'd be surprised how many are pre-selected ahead of time. So I could say, you know, for the experimental film category, this filmmaker should absolutely get it, and here's my case for it. And I would do these extensive write-ups about their films, about their film works. And it would always be focused on the film they submitted. It's never. It was never about what they did before. It was never about whether I knew them or not. It was always about the film they submitted. And I, and I remember there were like well-known filmmakers, not just in the New York film community, but worldwide, who I didn't recommend. And that's sort of where the problem lied, because a lot of these film festivals wanted the notable people to win so that those notable people will talk highly about these festivals. They were, they were starving for publicity. They were starving for more submissions because a lot of them are, are funded exclusively by their submission fees, which is a point of contention for me. And I'm not the only one with that story. I have a friend who's an artist who was also advising on the awards for the art house section of a specific film festival in New York. And he said the same thing. He said that he had advised them to, to award a specific filmmaker that this specific filmmaker was doing something really, really, really special. And they said, are you sure you don't want this other guy? And he's like, no, what they're doing isn't inventive at all. I've seen it a thousand times. Then they'd wait a week and they'd come back passive aggressively. Are you sure? I mean, that other guy's doing some really solid work. He's like, no, trust me, I made my decision. And of course they end up giving it to the guy they initially wanted to and ignoring the advice of, of the expert. And so, that can be a very disenchanting experience for a creator to kind of see behind the scenes. So I talked about screenplay competitions initially because I'd never read for a competition, but I have read for literary journals. Literary journals get many, many more submissions than screenplay competitions. There are a lot of writers out there who want to get published in literary journals. Often literary journals are the place to get published if you want to start getting published first. And just the sheer amount of reading that has to be done, it's completely unrealistic to be totally immersed in everything that comes through. So a lot of times they'll read the first couple of sentences and they'll just be like, eh, the attack line isn't engaging enough. Or maybe they'll get through the first page and be like, not invested yet, and toss it aside. Nobody has the time to invest themselves into being engrossed in the work. And that's problematic for me because I know this is happening with the screenplay competitions. Think about this. This is a, an, a letter I got from the Austin Film Festival, which I submitted a screenplay to. I've, I don't know how many I've submitted to them, but, but it's not the first letter I've gotten from them. I'm going to read this to you. Dear Eric Norcross, thank you for entering Desire Lines in the 20, into the 2021 Austin Film Festival Screenplay Competition. We received 14,648 script submissions this year across all categories that demonstrated some incredible storytelling and world building. 14,648. There's no way... They read 14,648 scripts in the window between the time that competition submissions opened 
in the time they sent out these notifications. There's just no way. It's impossible. Maybe they had, were able to skim a few pages, but there's no way that they picked up design lines and read it word for word, visualized the scenes I painted, tried to get to, tried to, get to know the character based on the information I provided, and really digest the script as a film in their heads. Because when you read a screenplay, you have to be able to visualize the film in your head. And that takes really sitting down and focusing on what the writer has presented to you. Now, I'm saying I'm going to come at you with this next little bit from my own experience and the experience of a few others I've talked to. It might not be true for everybody, but I know that when I'm assigned something to read, I'm having less fun reading it than something I've chosen to read. It's just true. If I'm assigned a book at school to read, it is unlikely that I'm going to genuinely enjoy reading that book because it is an assignment. So if you have all of these interns, and for the most part, their readers are going to be interns or some volunteer reader who uh, maybe has a specific taste, which we're going to get to in a bit because subjective taste is a huge part of this as well. Uh, they've been assigned these screenplays that they probably wouldn't otherwise pick up and read on their own accord. That changes the game. That changes it for you because really they just want to get through it. And I honestly, like, that's probably situ the first situ realistic situation in this. And the second situation is they just didn't get through to everything. That's almost 15,000 screenplays. That's crazy. That is batshit nuts. Of course, it was going to be that intense because this was all being done during the pandemic when everybody had time to finally finish all their screenplays. But it's not the first letter like this I've received. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about some of my other experiences. I recently had a public spat with the people from the Slamdance screenplay competition. Let me pull up their, their feedback. So I sent them the same screenplay. It's called Design Lines. It's a, one of a handful of autobiographical screenplays that I am working on because I grew up on an island off the coast of Maine. I grew up in a place where I never felt like I belonged. And I didn't really accomplish much of, of anything until I finally left and came to New York. And the screenplays that I'm writing are very much about that, about kind of being stuck in this place that doesn't allow for proper growth. And Desire Lines, which is the screenplay that got rejected from Austin, is very much about that. Um, it's the first of a trilogy, essentially. So what happened, though, is Slamdance sent me back actual feedback from one of their readers. And while I... I appreciate that they actually read it. What I didn't appreciate was that it was clearly read by somebody who didn't understand what I was doing and didn't understand who I am as a filmmaker. Because the screenplay is very, very much informed by what I've done, but also it informs the reader what I want to do with it. And it's a very outside-the-box sort of approach to a coming-of-age story. Um, and so 
What they do is they recommend a genre, they recommend a log line, and they, they give short feedback. So here's the genre, coming-of-age fantasy. Okay, that's exactly what it is. Here's the log line they recommended. A young boy living on an island off the coast, frustrated by his dysfunctional family and bullied at school, escapes to fantasies as a way to distract from his predicament. That's largely true. So they did read it. I'll give them props for that. But then this is, this is what got under my skin because this is where subjective taste comes in. This, this short feedback this reviewer provided tells me everything I need to know about how this is not their kind of film. This is not their kind of literature. And therefore, this shouldn't have been assigned to them. The interesting premises of a coming-of-age story with a unique and specific setting of a coastal Maine island is underserved by a lack of plot and underdrawn characters. The pacing of the story suffers from a lack of active conflict and characters that don't seem fully drawn. Leaf's goal, Leaf is the main character, Leaf's goal of belonging or fitting in starts to feel repetitive with little learnt along the way. The ending is unsatisfying because the change that occurs is not significant, significant or dramatized enough to satisfy the read and seems to come too late. So, if they understood what I was trying to do with this, they would understand that, well, it's not supposed to be satisfying. Growing up on an island off the coast of Maine wasn't satisfying. And... The lack of it, of all those things kind of being underserved, was deliberate. It was 100% deliberate because the community in it itself was not only underserved by the surrounding municipality and state governments, but also, as a result, it underserves its own people. This screenplay is exactly what I intended. This screenplay is exactly what I want to make into a film. As a matter of fact, I want the film to be 100% reflective of that screenplay. But the problem is, is it, it wasn't aligned with this person's taste. They wanted a significant change to, quote unquote, satisfy them, which is a word that really got under my skin. And I, I think that they wanted a more picturesque, happy-go-lucky sort of main island experience. They didn't want a sort of reasonable, a realistic, gritty approach to the location or the types of characters that were presented you know the the one film i'm thinking about now that takes place on an island off the coast of maine is probably more in line with the kind of movie this reader is looking for and that would be wes anderson's um moonrise kingdom that was set on a fictional island off the coast of maine but it's cute it's quirky it's Definitely separated from like reality, especially the reality I had to deal with growing up. And I, I sent them a film that was the polar opposite of Moonrise Kingdom. Or a screenplay that is the polar opposite of Moonrise Kingdom. And I don't know, I just feel like... To me, when you're giving feedback to a creative... It doesn't matter where they are as a creative, if they're in a late stage of their writing career or if they're new, you should always try to figure out what it is the writer is trying to do. 
and give them feedback that will help them strengthen what they're trying to do. Not just shoot it down because it doesn't align with your expectations or tastes in literature. And this is something I dealt with a lot in my MFA program because in my MFA program, you had to sit down and listen to the most blubbery garbage feedback from students who had no interest in reading your work whatsoever. And at, at a certain point, I ended up taking a workshop with, well, I'm not going to drop his name, but he's been on the podcast before. He was a professor of nonfiction writing and he was just like, look, just try to figure out what they're doing and give them feedback to help them get to where they're headed. Don't try to change, change them into writing something that's more along the lines of your taste because then you're not doing them justice. And that's sort of what I want to tell this guy at the Slam Dance Film Festival. But here's what happened with Slam Dance. So I ended up on Twitter like talking about talking with another writer from the hashtag ha, Twitter has the hashtag writing community and if you hashtag it you'll get other writers joining in on your conversations and somebody had posted a thread about rejections and and they were talking about literary journals and literary competitions and so I just like hey you know I got this really weird rejection from the slam dance festival or the slam dance screenplay competition with this feedback that basically, and this is how I interpreted it, and how I interpret it, you, it, it's, you have to respect it because this is the way, this is how I took it. They basically told me I didn't do justice living on an island off the coast of Maine, or I didn't do justice growing up on an island off the coast of Maine, something like that. It was really snarky, and it, while it wasn't word for word, it was one hundred percent how I took that review and. Slam Nance came back at me with hate, with spite. They ended up posting the feedback publicly. So that feedback I read you was supposed to be private. They posted that publicly out of spite for sort of my resentment of the feedback, which one, is really unprofessional, and two, just unbelievably spiteful, especially for an organization that has the upper hand. I mean, these are the guys collecting all the submission fees. I'm the one who has to come up with ways to pay these submission fees whenever I'm submitting to these places. So I, I'm really mystified as to why they would react with such hostility. Because when I initially posted that comment, it wasn't out of hostility. It was just kind of out of like bafflement. I was just like, this is really what they consider to be useful feedback. It's not useful feedback at all. It made me feel like I didn't do justice living on an island off the coast of Maine. And so we had we had a little bit of a Twitter argument, and eventually they ended it with some nasty memes, like like uh, mic drop memes, which is also really unprofessional. Uh, whoever's running their social media should probably be fired. But you know, I don't run that organization, so they're going to do whatever they're going to do. And then I ended up posting a video to them kind of just explaining why they were overreacting. You know, I don't have many followers on Twitter. I'm not that active on Twitter. So why they would get so defensive about me being disenchanted by their thoughtless feedback. Like, dude, you have my submission fees. You should be totally happy with me being pissed off because you got money from me. But 
that was it. I haven't talked to them since. And honestly, like, I won't be submitting to them again. The, the whole Twitter behavior uh, crossed with that feedback. It's so clear that my work isn't going to be taken seriously there. Um, I will tell you, though, that it's not, they're not the last time this podcast is, is going to be focused on them. I actually have a guest coming up next week who's going to talk about film festivals. He's going to talk about competitions, and he's going to talk about the feedback he got from the Slam Dance screen comp- Screenplay Competition. I've already shot it. I've already recorded it. Um, he has a more enlightened view of things. I'm very passionate. I'm very much people be more thoughtful to other people. He's much more chill. And so you'll get two sides of it. This isn't just, you know, me posting a bad Yelp review. This is me saying, hey, I hated it, but here's a guy who hated it, but is more enlightened about it. And but I'll let him speak for himself when he's on here. Who else did I submit to? I also submitted to the Page Awards. I posted a blog about this, so I'm not going to go too far into it. But the Page Awards really annoyed me because they, when they they do this thing where you you submit it and then you see if you got into the quarterfinals. And if you didn't get into the quarterfinals, you're done. If you did, then you are still in consideration for the next phase. But they don't tell you whether or not you got into the quarterfinals or not. Instead, they send you a link to a section of their website saying, if your name isn't on it, if your name is on here, you're in the quarterfinals. If your name isn't on here, you're not in the quarterfinals and you're done. And of course you go and the page is taking an hour to load because everybody's trying to figure out whether the, whether or not they made the quarterfinals. And I, I'm so mystified by that because are they just trying to drive traffic to their website or are they just too lazy to construct a mass email to everybody they're rejecting? It doesn't take a lot to email people to tell them that they're done with the competition. But I figured out that I didn't make the quarterfinals. And so I unsubscribed from their mailing list. I'm like, all right, I'm done. Unsubscribe. And I write about this in the blog where my regular practice with anything, whether I've been in the festival or not, is once the event is done, I unsubscribe. It's part of my regular maintenance practices for my inbox because I don't have the bandwidth to be receiving emails from every competition I submit to. I just don't. And so, for example, last spring, I was an official selection of the Beverly Hills Film Festival. I participated in the Beverly Hills Festival, Festival completely, fully, through their online, because they were an online festival this year. And then as soon as the competition was done, I unsubscribed. So it's just the regular practice of it. I'll resubscribe if I decide to resubmit or if we agree to do business in some other way. I will be subscribed for the duration that we're in business together. So when I sent the unsubscribe request, the woman who is sort of the contact for the festival, at least in my inbox, is, was a woman named Zoe Simmons. And she responded with crybaby. I'm like, cry? She calling me a crybaby? That's very interesting. And what I realized was it was meant for one of their administrators. She was for, trying to forward it to an, uh, an administrator to remove me from the email list. 
and it accidentally got sent to me. She she responded with this seven page email, or I think it was like seven or eight pages. I wrote about it. You can read it on my blog. I'll link to it in the description of this podcast. But just go to my website, ericnorcross.com, and look for the blog. It's pretty recent. But you know, it's not really about rejection. It's more about giving creatives a fair chance. And when you when you have a screenplay competition that's taking in nearly 15,000 submissions, you're not giving anybody a fair chance. When you when you're assigning work to readers without considering the nature of the filmmaker, the style or regular aesthetic of the filmmaker or or somebody who isn't a developed enough reader to be able to see what that writer is trying to do with their work to give them thoughtful, helpful, useful feedback. That's the kind of shit that gets under my skin. For example, I got rejected from from Blue Cat. This is a great counterpoint. Blue Cat rejected me, but they sent me really useful feedback. They understood what I was doing. The Blue Cat screenplay competition basically read a screenplay I sent them. It was called Skittish. It was a different screenplay. And they're like, look, we get what you're trying to do. This will, this is going to make an amazing movie. But I'm going to tell you straight up right now, this isn't the kind of thing that's going to be financed through the studio system. But it should absolutely be made and you should try to find a way to make it. And that's that feedback's useful to me. That feedback tells me that they understand what I was trying to do. They might not know who I am as a filmmaker, but they at least read the screenplay and they understood what I was trying to do with it. And they also understood that the system that, that's in place, the system doesn't work for people like me. The system doesn't work for creatives who are thinking outside the box about the kind of projects they want to make. And therefore, those creators, they're left behind by the system. And these people understood it and they let me know straight up, this is a great screenplay that's gonna, and it's going to make a great film but not through the system. It still got rejected, but they were at least honest with me about it. That I'm gonna to have to find another way to make the kinds of films I wanna make. And, and, and then you have these other guys who uh, either didn't read it or were just like, well, change it to something that we do recognize that we are familiar with and maybe it'll get made. That's not the answer. The answer is to find another way to make the content that you wanna create. So that was my pandemic screenplay competition experience. I have no more pending submissions. I believe they're all done at this point. I think this Austin Film Festival was the last one. Um, do I plan to submit to more? No. This was a rare sort of circumstance because we were in a pandemic and I was knocking off all these screenplays that I'd been wanting to finish for a while. And I was asked to submit them through, you know, somebody asked me to just try my hand at them and see, see what happens. And as predicted, I got really disenchanted and, and angry about some of the responses. It has nothing to do with my work and everything to do with sort of kind of the fraud of it all. I do think it's a bit of a scam to charge 60 to $150 in reading fees 
and not really have be assigned somebody to give you their full attention. Like, I don't know, I just, I know that there's always going to be rejection in the arts. Believe me, I'm 40 years old and I've been doing it since second, since 1998 and I'm 40 years old. So I've been doing it a long time and I'm going to continue doing it for a long time. So I'm very familiar with rejection, but it's thoughtless rejection. It's, and it's, and it's using this desire to be accepted, this desire to be uh, verified as an artist by others, you know, uh, using that to, to essentially make money. It's essentially what they're doing is they're making money. And you'll have some people uh, talking about, well, this is how they finance their, their programs. This is how they finance their events. And as long as they're using it to finance their events, it's fine. Whatever. There's an argument for that. And you'll get that argument from some of my, my upcoming guests. But I'm of the school that uh, these events shouldn't hinge on creatives paying submission fees. At 40 years old, I have officially decided that it's wrong because there's too much of a window to take advantage of that. Like this. That I don't even remember what the submission fee was for the Austin Film Festival, but let's do the math here real quick. If the submission fee for the Austin Film Festival was hypothetically $30, I'm just going to throw that out there, 30 times 14600 that's over $400,000, is that right, wait, is that right, 30 times 14600 yeah, that's over $400,000, you know how many films I could make for $400,000? I could make every screenplay I've ever submitted to a competition over the past 20 years. So I don't write expensive movies. I just write a lot of movies. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. I never even did the math until now. That's almost a half a million dollars in submission fees for one season. And, that, and that's on the lower end of, of the reading fees, too. A lot of these festivals have higher fees. And they get higher the later you submit. So that's something to think about, everyone. Next week, I'm going to have a guest who submitted to Slamdance. Has been in many festivals. He's a great filmmaker. He has a more positive view on this. I unfortunately don't. So if you're interested in screenplay competitions and film festivals, don't let me be the last word. Listen to what this other guest has to say. But please consider what I am saying. If you are an outside-the-box creator, it might not be for you. Anyway, thanks, and I'll see you guys next week.